in our organization, there's a ton of, I don't know the answer to that. Let me introduce you to so-and-so. Then an intro is made via email. What's the etiquette in this situation? As the person who needs some information from the connection, do I reply to the email chain first saying thank you and restating my request to the intended recipient? Or would it be better to allow some time for them to reply to the connector email first? Also, what should be done if they simply never reply, even after time has passed? I feel the rules may be different in the nonprofit world because there's always this underlying thread of everyone is overworked and under-resourced and they're doing us as this thing as a favor. So I'm going to keep this one really straightforward because this is at least the etiquette I think makes sense. So I think that connection is made. I think you say a quick thank you to reply to all thank you, and then say to the person that you were connected with, hey, I'm going to follow up with you, you know, Sally Smith offline to talk to you further about my my need or my request. And then like get the other person who connected you, because I will say as a person who connects a lot of people, it drives me bonkers when I am left on that chain <laughs> between them back and forth. I'm like, I, tr- I trust you guys are either going to connect or you're not and go forth and connect. <laughs> you don't need to. So, and I think busy people feel that way. So I think do the courtesy of thank you for the connection. You know, I'll connect with you so-and-so on, you know, separately. And then I think emailing that person and just sharing, sharing your request. Um, and you know, I, if they don't respond, I don't give up easily and I'm like, you know, a little bit of a dog with a bone where I need someone to like, just tell me to go away before I, I mean, I, there's a, there's a limit to it because I don't want to harass people, but I think maybe you give it right a week or so. And then maybe you pick up, if you have their phone number, maybe you pick up the phone because it feels like today, like in today's day and age, there's so many people not reading emails or forget emails because they're getting so saturated with emails that I'm like, maybe you pick up the phone and just say, Hey, you know, so-and-so connected us last week. So I would try maybe a different medium in a week. And then, then if you don't hear back, I don't know, probably at that point I would give up, but I'd try at least a couple times. Nonprofit governance. Nonprofit answers. Nonprofit board. Nonprofit management. Nonprofit marketing. Nonprofit resources. The Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits presents Nonprofit Everything, the podcast about everything nonprofit, with your host, Andy Shurick and Stacey Wedding. everybody. Welcome to another episode of Nonprofit Everything. I am Stacey Wedding, and I'm here with my fabulous co-host, Andy Schurich. He is a rock star, and I love doing this with him. We have so much fun. So I hope you feel our energy and, uh, you know, some of our insanity while we do this as well. So <laughs> special thanks to NV Energy, who is allowing us to use their recording facilities to, uh, you know, record these. So they sound actually better and not all echoey from you know, the boroughs of our home. So, and also special thanks to Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits, Anne, who presents this, this podcast and makes it possible. So um, just all around thanks and thanks to you as our listeners. Appreciate it. Okay, Andy, here's a question for you. I am a one-person shop, and sometimes I'm signing off to approve an expense I incurred for our organization, and then I sign off on the check. I realize this is probably a conflict, but we don't have any other staff to provide more segregation of duties. What are some practical and realistic ways around these struggles when you're a small agency? 
And please don't tell me my board. I ask them to do so much already. <laughs> <laughs> those, my, those last two sentences are my favorite. Yes, because that, that, was, that, was the, that is the first answer. That's Without the those reality. last two sentences, the first answer is maybe you can involve your board. Exactly. <laughs> and so, that's where I went. And then I was like, uh, uh, uh. well, you still probably. So here's what you're trying to. I, let me sort of distill the question into like one sentence, which is. I need to prove that I'm not stealing money from my organization. And I've got a system in place where it would be really easy for me to do that because no one is checking my work. So you need to come up with a way that your board and I said the board, right? But your board and you feel comfortable about what this process is. Now, most organizations, not most, but lots of organizations, what I've seen, and you've probably seen the same thing, is they've got these really arcane, complicated Byzantine rules about how checks get created and who signs what piece of paper. And if it's over $500, you need to get two signatures on it. And if it's over $2,500, one of those signatures needs to be a board member, et cetera, et cetera. And it's this really complicated way that sort of forgets that, I know we've talked about this before too, it forgets that there are other ways that you can do that, that you didn't have to design in 1965 when everything was done with paper. So one of the ways is doing something like positive pay, where if a check comes out, the bank, you, you when you're doing a run of checks, you tell the bank here, just so you know, I'm, I just cut 10 checks and these are the values on all these 10 checks and these are the check numbers. So if you don't see these values and these check numbers come from us, don't pay that check. So the bank takes that information and then when the checks come through, it checks it against their file and says, okay, check number 1,005 was for 50 bucks. That's what I have. I can pay this check. If it comes in, it's for... $500 because somebody took it out of a mailbox and added a zero and then tried to cash it, the bank is going to deny it. They're going to say that's not what it said in the positive pay file. So there are ways you can protect against each one of those steps. The step that you're trying to protect against, it sounds like, is I don't have anybody approving my work. Like I've got, you know, I went to take a donor to lunch and the donor got weird and ordered like three bottles of wine, but then I paid for it with the company American Express card. And I just want somebody to see that I did that. I want to be able to explain that like I didn't drink three yeah. bottles of wine. Right? Yeah. This, is, this was yeah. not my thing. Yeah. So, so in that case, what you if you don't want to bother a board member constantly about having them sign things, maybe you talk to your board and put in a process whereby once a month there is a list of all of the expenses and all of the checks that were cut. And you can have some sort of document that you hand to the board once a month or hand to the treasurer once a month and say, here's what I did, just so you have it. So everybody's clear on what went out and we can check this and, and everybody's clear at the end of the year that this thing got approved. Another thing you can do is, and especially for a really small organization, one of the things that you're supposed to do uh, is, is have somebody do a bank reconciliation for you other than the person that normally does bank reconciliations. Because, and we should do one day, somebody's going to ask us, you know, what are the best ways to steal from a nonprofit? <laughs> one of the best ways to steal from a nonprofit is to be 100% in control of one system. Yeah. And if that system is the bank account, you could do whatever you want, yes. right? So one of the things that you, what you, you should do is like once in a while, Somebody other than the person that's cutting the checks and doing all those things should do the bank reconciliation. And for, for those of you who, for whom when I said bank reconciliation, your head exploded. <laughs> it's just balancing your checkbook at the end of the month <laughs> and making sure whatever's in the computer system and whatever checks were actually cut is what the bank thinks happened. You have to compare those two things together. So having someone else do it once, like a board member, make the treasurer do it once. That's a good sort of check and balance that you can add as well to make sure that there isn't something funny about the bank account. That, because one, here's, here's how you steal, right? 
If you're the only one that ever does the bank reconciliations, you can just write yourself a check and no one would ever know. Of course Because not. you're doing the bank reconciliations. Yeah. No one's looking at it. You've got the computer system and you're using that to generate the financial statements to hand to the board at okay. your monthly or quarterly board meeting. But you know that that bank account is actually down by $1,000 because you cut yourself a $1,000 check. Yeah. And every time you do the bank rec, you just don't clear that check. It just doesn't get cleared. It sort of runs. It's constantly kind of hiding out in accounts payable and nobody knows that check was cut to either. So, so, so having somebody else do a bank rec occasionally, they would look at it and they go, why are we off by a thousand dollars? And then you're stuck. But that's a good way to make sure that they feel comfortable about what's happening. Um, but yeah, I, I get your bank, I get your board involved. Maybe not as a ch- sign every check or check my work every single time, but maybe like a periodic thing. Are there other ways? So I guess I'm also thinking with the the age of technology and you know electronic pay and electronic everything. Like, shouldn't there be a way that a board member doesn't have to necessarily be the one to sign it, but they are the one that is emailed whatever a scanned document in a secure platform that basically says, I'm looking to cut these checks. Here's the backup for them. Like if if the issue is about the board member coming to, because I hear this complaint a lot, like my board, uh, they're out of town or my board signers are out of town or they're like, there's nobody here to like come to the office. Like, isn't there a way around that? I mean- I mean, first of all, I mean, the first thing I would look at is the policy. Like if your right. policy's dumb, like fix the policy. Don't just yeah. do it because you've done it that way. There are like, they're called AP automation for accounts payable automation systems. Um, nobody's a sponsor, so I'm not going to mention any names, but there are companies that sort of do that where instead of the invoice coming to your office, the invoice gets emailed somewhere else. They scan it. They do like optical character recognition so that the picture of that invoice then goes in the system and then they filter all the lines in. And that's something that you can share out to to a board member if you want a board member to be able to eyeball that stuff and just as it goes. And you can there's some that you can make them part of the approval process where they all they have to do is log in once whenever you do a check run once a week or whatever and just go, yeah, okay, I approved all of these things. So it's still involving your board. But there are ways that you can you can make those things more visible so that you're not physically bring things to people or. Right. And I guess, I mean, the, the short answer here, I mean, this is a one person shop, so we don't have to worry about this, but I'm also thinking of our other listeners that may be two or three people shop, you know, shops that may be saying, Oh, but could I have a, could I have a staff member take part in part of this process? What would be an a, appropriate level? And, you know, I know a staff, you know, you can have staff that one person, right shows all the, you know, logs, all the checks that have come in, whatever, like one person has another thing. But, but like, it feels to me like when you get down to like actual reconciliations and the large, back to the larger picture stuff there, it's, it is part of your board's responsibility. I mean, that is why you have a treasure, right? A board has fiduciary responsibilities. So, so if, I I don't think you can get away from this question, in my humble opinion, without having the board involved. And probably I would be more of a stickler on this than you even, Andy, and say they need to be involved in a greater way. That is one of their primary responsibilities. And so if they have other stuff on their plates, maybe you need to reevaluate what else is on their plates. And are there other things that they aren't as needed, like from a fiduciary level, that you could take back or give to another volunteer? Like, I guess I feel like maybe it's sort of reassessing the workload. Yeah. And at the risk of just like taking this question way deeper than it needs to go, think about what you're actually trying to achieve. So the when you get an invoice in, either it's, 
in the accounting language, it's you want to do like a three-way match. Is is this what we expected to pay? Is the did we receive the service we got for it? And does the does the invoice reflect that? And then on top of that, does the check we cut match all of those things? So you end up with this system where multiple people look at it to match different things. And you sort of use the approval sort of stacked up from all of those people together. So, I mean, you may be just maybe one of those pieces of the stack. You can come up with some mechanism, some system to make it feel like it's less, you know, I'm just going to do what I want. Right. It's going to check me. Daisy, how much effort should we put into getting the ratings agencies like Candid or Charity Navigator to score us higher? Do donors really care about four stars versus five stars? So I'm going to say it depends in a couple of ways. So, I mean, obviously there are some donors that maybe that makes a difference, but I think that is a small few. Where I think it makes a difference in any of those rating systems is when you go from like whatever, let's say three stars is average and five stars is excellent. Like, I think there is donor savviness will sit there and like go, wow, I'd rather invest in the top tier. So like the good and great nonprofits versus the average. But I feel like the nuance between it, again, not knowing the system of four to five, like where that break point is. But like, if we're, if that's a similar thing, I think like, it's kind of like, if it makes you jump from below average to average or average to like the next stage, I think it might be worth it. And I think it's worth it just because it means your organization's in many ways better run if, you know, if it's a legitimate site. Now, what I really like, I like Candid's more because that's more about seal of transparency and less about like charity navigators come down over the years with some scrutiny about how they choose their, you know, top star nonprofits. Um, I think they've modified some of it because they didn't have really fair financial ratios in the past. And so I think they've modified that. But but like what I love about GuideStar is that's 100% in your control, at least the one I'm thinking of. It's seals of transparency. So like the more transparent you are, and guess what? I know many more guide donors who go to GuideStar and your website than they ever do to Charity Navigator. I don't think Charity, I think some do Charity Navigator. Donors are getting savvier and donors want transparency and impact. So like you've got to show that. And if you can do that through through GuideStar or, I mean, Candid Now or, you know, whatever source, your own website, then do it. But I also think you could spin your wheels big time trying to just go up to one additional star um, in some things that may be just out of your control based on your own kind of financial model as a nonprofit. Yeah, I, I agree. It's, it depends on the depends on the rating agency. And, and I agree that Candid is – so I have a philosophical problem with all of them. The, the number one is like why am I spending my time as a nonprofit generating content for your website so that you can get more hits and sell more advertising and do whatever the heck you're doing? Um, so, so that's like putting pressure on me to do stuff for you so that you can get more eyeballs. I think Charity Navigator specifically is – I mean, there there's some some awful things that they've baked in this really sort of paternalistic, like we know better than you about how to run your organization, which is frankly nonsense. One of which, and I know like Better Business Bureau Wise Giving Alliance still, still to this day 
has one of the things you can get dinged on on that is if you have too much cash on hand. So if you've got ridiculous. too much, if you're so if you're pre-funding some like a, a you're going to do a capital campaign and you're raising a bunch of money so you can buy a building or you're trying to stash salt away some money so that you can do a a sustainable program expansion that would really do better good in the community, you're going to get knocked because you didn't just flush the money directly through your nonprofit at whatever, you know, throw it at whatever stupid thing you wanted, that you're being strategic about it. And, and they're so lazy. Like every single one of these is incredibly lazy. So Candid's a little different because you're feeding some of the information to them. Like they get a lot of it from the 990s, but then you're feeding information in about what your impact is and things that yeah. don't show up on the 99. So that's good. Charity Navigator, Wise Giving Alliance, Philanthropy, whatever, that one, I forget what it's called. Like all of those are just sucking information right out of the 990, which is, as you know, like asking you random questions anyway. It's based on Congress and the Treasury Department trying to decide what things they want to chase and whether or not that makes you a good nonprofit or impactful or effective or whatever words you want to use. That's completely different from what you can see on the 990. And it's absurd that that we've wasted so much time talking about it. I think that donors too, I mean, you, Stacey, you know this far more than I do. My, my perception is that if a donor is looking at two organizations, one has five stars on Charity Navigator, one has four stars on Charity Navigator, and they give to the five-star donor, to hell with them. Like, that's right. just a yeah, dumb way to make a decision. It's very dumb. Right? If, and if, if you're serious, if, if, if as a donor you're really serious about solving the problem, you're going to engage with the nonprofit yeah. to find out what they're doing and how they're doing it and not just picking a number out of the air. Yeah. So they may get some random gifts from people who really have no – desire to make an impact they just are throwing money they've got a they've got a family foundation and they need to spend their five percent and they haven't figured out a way to cheat and give it to their kids as people that are running the foundation or whatever <laughs> nasty thing they're doing today so they they have to give some money out so they're like i don't know find something i like puppies so they'll go and they'll look and they'll find some sort of puppy charity that one's got five stars throw them the money you don't want them as donors anyway they're not going to help you in the long term um and Andy's wow. on a wow. I'm yeah, on a yeah. bad mood today. Well, no, but you're you're just on a tear. I mean, I and I get it. But here's the thing. I mean, I am going to push back on one piece of that. So I I generally concur, and I I really actually hate some of these rating websites just because I don't like. You really have to look at what it is they're rating, and like I don't know. It just philosophically, it's like why even yeah, why even bother? But what I do think is smart about Candid. Right. Biggest thing nonprofits say they need more money and more visibility. Right. Over and over. We need more money. We need more visibility. And I do think Candid is a tool for helping extend that reach. And so while you're like, oh, my gosh, you know, you have to. Why should I give them all this info and do their job for them? I'm also like. I look at it as a favor, like it's another marketing platform out there for your organization. So I look at it a little differently, partly because I know so many donors that like first place they go, nonprofits website, second place they go, or vice versa, right? Candid, like let me look up. I mean, that's today's donors are sophisticated. And I think the more transparent you can be, it drives me bonkers, loony, crazy when you don't like when a nonprofit doesn't take advantage of their own opportunity to be transparent on their website and to find like info, right? How many times do you see a website that doesn't tell you anything and doesn't have hardly any, you can't even find out how to contact somebody with a, like a phone number or right. you get an info at, and I'm just like, no. <laughs> right. And I know, I, I know there's a lot of reasons for that, but anyway, so th there's my pet peeve, but I just, I'm like, use the tools you've got. Candid is a tool, you know, your own website's a tool, use yeah. them. 
Yeah. Use I, them to the fullest. I agree. I just, I hate, but, I mean, and, and I think that I agree 95% with what you said. I still think that a savvy donor is not one that looks at the organization's website, looks at candidates' website, and then decides to make a gift based on those two pieces. Right, right. That's, that's a lazy donor. Yeah. Right. You want somebody that's actually like engaged. How are you going to do what you're going to, I need to know how you're going to do what you're going to do. And that's the only way they can do that is with communication and, and looking at a star rating or a platinum or something doesn't give you that information. It means that someone is good at following instructions. Yeah. That's, that's probably not a good way to to decide how to give them Yeah. That makes me roll my eyes. Yep. So, so the episode is over, but I want, I want to give you some like inside podcast information. Something that you probably don't know is that Stacy hates doing intros and outros. She can't stand them. <laughs> oh man, you just outed me, Andy. <laughs> so we get to that we're recording and we need to, okay, we need to do the intro and outro. Stacey's like, I hate doing these. I do. My, my face scrunches <laughs> off. Uh, like I stick my tongue out. I hate these. Ugh. So, so while you're sending us your questions, while you're sending us your podcast feedback, what could please send us Something that we can do that'll make the outro less painful for Stacy. If there's something <laughs> <Like> that <laughs> something to mix it up, because I just I try to get creative and then I'm fried by the time we're done recording and it just doesn't happen. Yeah. So if you have any thoughts, please send them. Any feedback, any questions. Thanks again to the Alliance for Nevada Nonprofits for hosting or for presenting the podcast. Thanks to Envy Energy for letting us use their space so we sound good. And thanks again to you listeners for listening. And for all of those who've sent questions, thanks for sending those questions. We really appreciate it.